The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do. Go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. It's time for you to give yourself the gift of truth. And a huge benefit that a lot of you are not taking advantage of is our forum. There's a lot of content and a lot of participation from people all over the world discussing everything that matters. So if you are a Veritas member, take advantage of this. And what if a solar storm, EMP, or financial collapse happened today? It is only a matter of time before a massive EMP or solar storm burst fries the U.S. electrical grid? Or how about the financial system, which is unsustainable? The grid will invariably go down. When that happens, how are you going to survive? In the United States today, we are completely and totally dependent on electrical power. Unless you are Amish or are part of a similar community, you probably have absolutely no idea how to survive in a world without electricity. This is why we're bringing a veteran of this radio program back. Tonight's special guest is Matthew Stein, right now on Veritas. Matthew Stein is a design engineer, green builder, and author of two best-selling books, When Disaster Strikes, a comprehensive guide to emergency planning and crisis survival, and When Technology Fails, a manual for self-reliance, sustainability, and surviving the long emergency. Stein is a graduate of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, where he majored in mechanical engineering. He has appeared and is a repeat guest on national TV and radio. He is an active mountain climber, serves as a guide and instructor for blind skiers, has written several articles on the subject of sustainable living and is a guest columnist for the Huffington Post. And we have a more detailed bio on our website. To learn more about Matthew Stein and his work, visit his websites at whentechfails.com and mattstein, M-A-T, stein.com. And directly from the High Sierra Mountains of Truckee, Northern California, near Lake Tahoe, I would like to welcome Matthew Stein. Hello, Matt, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Oh, I'm really excellent today. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Mel. Really appreciate it. It's always my pleasure, especially I think 
about you continuously, Matt, because so many things are happening, not only in the United States, but around the world. When I think of Ebola, and we're going to talk about that too, when I think of, of an EMP, solar storms, uh, what's happening today in Ferguson, Missouri, even riots can can bring the grid down from a local community all the way to nationwide, if that that uh, those riots expand like a virus nationwide. Why is it so important to discuss all of this right now, Matt? Well, I think that humanity on the whole is getting that this planet is in trouble. And I think that people intuitively, you know, you saw the, the huge success of Doomsday Preppers show on TV. You've seen... Uh, there's a wonderful book called Blessed Unrest by uh, Paul Hawken, where there's something like two million independent organizations that have sprung up on our planet that are dedicated to social and ecological change in the planet. So I think what's happening is that humanity knows that we're stressing our world, that the growth and consumption habits and, and patterns of business as usual are stressing our planets and you know causing record record numbers of of plant and animal extinctions. So we just intuitively know that we're in trouble and that keeping up what we've been doing is going to soil the nest and take it all down around us. What we don't know and what nobody really knows is exactly what combination is going to cause collapse. And if this collapse is going to be a long-term cascading fall downward, or if it's going to be a big black swan event, such as a solar storm or EMP, where, where things just fall apart almost instantly like you know basically in, in you could see in a week's time the the entire country or planet being plunged into chaos from a big black swan event so nobody knows the details but i think we're really all getting that we're headed for that wall we're like in a high speed train going 100 miles an hour down the tracks and if anything instead of putting the brakes on they're putting the foot on the gas pedal and saying, don't worry, it's going to be okay. But we know that around the corner, somewhere not far down the path, there's the end of the line and there's a brick wall or a cliff that we're going to go off of. And, and yet we're just speeding happily along, pretending it's going to be all okay. Matt, I understand that small solar storms strike our planet every year, that the most recent extreme solar storm hit the earth in 1921. And the one before that struck in 1859, commonly known as the Carrington event which we discuss here all the time with Dr. Paul Laviolette. But these apparently caused few major problems on the planet. What makes today's situation so different from that of 90-some or 150 years ago? In the 1921 Great Geomagnetic Storm, which was 50% weaker than the Carrington event, was about nine decades ago. And that was the last extreme geomagnetic storm that the planet saw. Now, the Carrington event was kind of like the granddaddy of all solar storms in, in recorded history. And that happened in 1859, 160 years ago, approximately. So what we're seeing is we've seen two extreme geomagnetic events in the last 160 years. Which, and looking at ice core samplings, the indic scientists indicate that that's roughly – the, the average what we're going to see on our planet. So that's where they came up the one in eight every decade. So basically, it's been nine decades since the last extreme geomagnetic solar storm. And I'll explain what that is in a moment. And it's been uh, – and we have a one in eight chance every decade. So essentially, we're living on borrowed time right now where we're looking at uh, – it could happen anytime. It could happen in another hundred years, but it could happen next month. 
we just don't know. It's like a crap shot. It's like rolling the dice. So what is an extreme geomagnetic event? Well, when the sun burps, it, it sends this like huge coronal mass ejection. It's like a big burp and a bunch of hot sun plasma gases go flying out into space like a thousand times faster than our rockets fly. And they head towards, most of the time they head away from planet Earth, but on occasion when this coronal mass ejection happens, it hits the planet. Now, if it's not a huge ejection, then we get a nice northern lights or southern light shore, aurora borealis. And occasionally you get a really big one that hits their planet like in 1921 or 1859. So what happened in 1859, Carrington event? Well, the sky lit up from the North Pole to Hawaii and Puerto Rico, and it lit up from the South Pole all the way to American Samoa. So the entire planet was lit up at night, like blood red, orange, golden green streaks. I mean, just an incredible light show all night long. Now, back in 1859, we didn't have an electric grid. In fact, the only thing that was electrified was the telegraph. And so it did disrupt telegraph communications. A bunch of places were able to disconnect their batteries from the telegraphs and run their telegraphs just on induced currents that were happening from the geomagnetic storm. And a few telegraph stations burned down. Well, in 1921, what happened? Well, 1921, about 50% weaker than 1859, um, Penn Central Station in New York City burned down. You know, big, big train station. I was just there last week, big giant train station. It burned to the ground. And, you know, some other telegraphs and places burned to the ground. But it wasn't a really huge problem because in 1921, there was no Internet. There were no nuclear power plants. There was no interconnected grid across the country. There was just individual electrified cities and electrified installations. And so the geomagnetic storm caused some of those to burn down and some of them to fry. But but they were very robust by modern standards. They had big fat wires. They were pretty primitive electronics. So it wasn't a big deal. Well, you fast forward to today and what you've got is a very different story. Now we have a world that's highly electrified and interconnected. We have the worldwide grid, you know, the, the internet that connects everybody in the world or, or all the Western world, the high tech world. There are still people who are not on it. And all of that's much more fragile electronically for these solar storms. So what happens in the solar storm is you have this, this uh, huge mass of particles from the sun crashes into the, geomag the, the magnetic field around the Earth, and it induces these currents and eddy currents in the planet. And they, they come down into the power lines that connect the grid. And what's extremely vulnerable in our grid is we have something called extra high voltage transformers, where they step the volts up from 110 in your house to 350,000 to a million volts. And they do this so that they can transmit. You've seen those huge towers with, with power lines going like a mile between towers and going way above the ground. So they, they're able to use these extremely high voltages to transmit power long distances to connect the grid with relatively low um, efficiency losses. You know, whenever you transmit power, you lose a little bit along the way. So these giant towers and the power lines are stepped up such high voltages so they don't lose a lot of money with efficiency losses. But the problem is that these transformers at each end that step it up to go the long distance and step it down to be to usable voltages, they're extremely vulnerable. 
So what happened is that some scientists said, hey, this is a real problem and let's study this. So the Department of Homeland Security and uh, the Department of Defense and Oak Ridge National Labs sponsored a study at Meditech Corporation where they did computer modeling. And they found that in a big geomagnetic storm, and they, they, they focused on the size of the 1921 one because they said the Carrington event's more like a 500-year event. But the 1921 one is more like an 80-year event. And it's been 90 years. So, so they focused on that one. They said, hey, that one happens pretty often. Like, you know, once every couple generations happens. And it's been two generations and more since the last one. So they looked at that and they determined that roughly 370 of these massive transformers would blow in the United States. And I asked the uh, John Kappenman, who's the author of the study, I asked him what he thought about worldwide. And he said, I don't know, I didn't study the world. And I said, well, what about 2,000? What does that seem like? He says, yeah, that seems like a pretty good number. So you say, okay, so what if a couple thousand transformers blow? You know, you just go to your hardware store and buy them, right? And it's like, well, no, you can't just go to your hardware store. These things, you have to shut down a freeway to deliver one of these. There's a three-year delivery time to get one. They are tens of millions of dollars each. They're 100 tons each. They're like 25 feet tall and 20 feet wide. And so, and the world capacity to make these is about 100 a year. In other words, right now, the, all, the, all the people in the world that makes these, these giant things, they make about 100 a year. So if 2,000 go down, that's like 20 years of manufacturing capacity. Say they could make 200 a year. That's 10 years of manufacturing to replace them. Okay, so let's see. Well, how often do these things blow? Well, every now and then they go down just from being old. And in the United States, our transformers are more vulnerable than most of the world because we finished upgrading. We started in like around 1970. We started upgrading the grid. And then around 2000, we pretty much finished off the plan of upgrading our grid. So a lot of our transformers are kind of getting old. So they're more susceptible to these power surges that, that can take them out. Well, back in 1989, there was a geomagnetic storm. It was strong. It was about 10%, one-tenth as strong as the 1921 Great Geomagnetic Storm. So the 1989 event was 10% of the strength of the storm that this study is based on. Well, what did that do? Well, it lit up the northern lights really amazing, and, it, and they had to reroute flights over the North Pole. And, and it turned out it blew up one of these transformers burned out in the province of Quebec. And it also burned one out at a, uh, at a nuclear power station in, I think it was New Jersey, and it blew one out in the UK. So it blew out three of these big transformers, and it caused some some power blackouts temporarily in the East Coast. But it turns out that in Quebec, that in the first 30 seconds of the 1989 storm, the Quebec grid experienced 15 simultaneous failures, one of which was this massive transformer. So the unsurprising result was a province-wide blackout. So the entire province of Quebec, which is pretty huge, but not that heavily populated, except for you know Quebec City and Montreal and you know a few places. So it 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 blew out for like nine hours. Six million people had no power, and a few you know some of those people had no power for a couple of days. But that's just one transformer. Now imagine 370 of these going out in the United States at once, and imagine that. It's going to be months to years before they get them replaced. For instance, in 2003, I think, it might have been 2006, but, uh, oh yeah, it is 2006. In South Africa, they had another geomagnetic storm, and it blew out one in Sweden, but for some reason, it really hit the South African grid heavily. Now, it wasn't as strong as the 
1989 storm, but it was longer in duration. And for some reason, it induced these currents in South Africa. Now, normally, they think of places that are close to the equator as much safer from geomagnetic storms. But the South African event showed that that's not exactly the case. Because when you think about like a, like if you take a horseshoe magnet and you stick it into some sand in a sandbox, the iron filings are going to stick and clump on the north and south pole, the horseshoe magnet. And there's going to be no filing sticking around the center of the magnet. So similarly, when you have an EMP, which is kind of a, an artificial, um, that's an electromagnetic pulse from a nuclear device going off. That's kind of like an, some people call solar storms as natural EMPs and, uh, and uh, you know, nuclear devices as man-made EMPs. So anyway, when they did EMP tests, they found back in 1961 before the, and before the, test ban treaty, above ground test ban treaty went into effect, both the United States and the Soviet Union tested nuclear devices above ground blasts specifically, you know, suborbital blasts specifically designed for EMP. And they found that the EMP effect on Johnston Island, which is about 900 miles south of Honolulu, was roughly one quarter of the EMP effect that the Soviets saw in their test over Kazakhstan. So, you know, so we've got some experience with EMPs, and we get some ancient experience with solar storms, but we don't have much really real life modern experience. So, so what? Do, so what's the consequence? I mean, imagine that you step out one day at night, and you look up, and you see the just most amazing, awesome light show you've ever seen in your life. Like the sky is blood red and orange, and there's shimmering waves of fluorescent green and yellow and just like curtains of light and it's just awesome and incredible and you can see this light show really really well because the other thing that's happened is there are no lights on in your city right exactly and there's no lights on all across north america and there's no lights all across most of the northern and southern hemisphere except for the deep tropical zones and then you go next day and you think wow this is pretty awesome i wonder when the power is going to come back on you go out the next day and there's no power and there's no internet. And what else is happening? Well, initially your phones work because they have three-day backup batteries at the telephone company switching stations. So in three hours' time, your cell phones start to fail because the power for the cell towers, the relay towers, starts failing in three hours. In three days, your regular phones have failed. In about three days to a week, the police stations and the hospitals have run out of backup fuel, and they're not operating anymore. Uh, the very next day, the there's no more water in the tap because all of the elevated reservoirs can't be refilled with uh, by pressure pumps, you know, pumping water. The sewage plant plants stop treating. So imagine now you're going out to Park Avenue or Broadway in New York City, and there's raw sewage coming up out of all of the manhole covers because the sewage in the town has no place to go. There's no pumps to pump it to get it back to the sewage treatment plant. But, of course, it doesn't keep coming out because there's no water to keep flushing after a little while because all of the pressurized reservoirs and elevated reservoirs, you know, the water towers and things, have run out of water too. So the elevators have stopped working. The refrigerators have stopped working. The food is starting to rot. We now have a three-day supply of food for every city in this country. It used to be that there was a month's worth of supplies stored in warehouses in and around every major metropolitan area. 
And that was pre-internet days. But, you know, now the world gets better and things improve, right? And What was that, there. Matt? What was that? Because of just-in-time inventory and technology? Yeah. Just-in-time okay. inventory and technology. It's Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.